Welcome to Pod at the Montecito, the world's premier podcast discussing the hit NBC television show Las Vegas. I'm one of your hosts, Judson Clark. And I'm your other host, Eddie McCarthy. Judson, we have reached the penultimate episode of the season. It, this is big times. And as thinking back to season one, I'm not entirely sure, but I think if not the penultimate, this is, I think, a fairly classic late season tempo play. Yeah, I think that's a fair you description. Know, I don't I don't want to get too ahead of us here, but I think this is just kind of one of their, uh, you know, solid base hit up the middle. Just advance the base runners. Nothing to see here, folks. We're we're moving quick. We got yeah. a lot. Of, we got, got a lot on the table. Got a lot of gifts that aren't getting tied up just yet, but we're we're working the ribbon right now. Let's get straight into it. It's season two, episode 23, Magic Carpet Red. I don't I don't get it. Well, Disney is very litigious, as is the band Steppenwolf. So you don't want Magic Carpet Ride. But I can show you the world. Are, are you not interested in that? I, I was going to let you keep going. I was not going to bail you out at all. Competitive improv getting an early start here on <laughs> Pod of the Montecito. Well, Fred. We start with this high energy house music right from the jump because, Ed, the Maxim Hot 100, well, that's not what it's called, <clears throat> the Maxim Hot 100 party starring Ashanti. Jesus, that is, I didn't do myself any favors with that writing of the notes. At any rate, that thing that I'll never say again is happening at the Montecito. Yeah, I'd have moved Ashanti to the first sentence if I was you, but what are you going to do? The Ashanti held at Motor Speedway on Thursday. <laughs> I think yesterday's got to go in the first sense. I'll tell you why. So our girl Ashanti is up in her room performing the lowest tech karaoke for Mary because she's just singing along to her own song, which also has her lyrics out of a boombox. Not the uh, most sophisticated way to get warmed up, I guess. But, you know, she does say it's her first time performing the song live. So maybe she's just trying to make sure she knows all the words now. Honestly, this is how I wish actual karaoke was because i really enjoy singing the songs but i'm so bad at it that i wish the actual artist was singing and i just got to to go along with it so you actually want to go on lip sync battle and don't want to do real karaoke is what you're telling me but i also want to sing i want to get very drunk and sing with the artist the way it was intended ah i mean that's a good way to go i feel like it should be an option at karaoke like hey do you want real karaoke or do you want the training wheels i'm like you know what why don't you go ahead and give me the salt and lime? You you know, you you learned how to bowl, but sometimes you just want those bumpers. Little yeah, I'm not going to be the asshole that slams into the bumpers at Mach 5. I'm just saying, like, you know, maybe I'd take some more chances with my music if I had the safety net of the artist. Oh, I, I don't hate the idea. All right. TM, TM, TM. We haven't figured out the name of the concept, but training wheel karaoke coming to a bar, probably not near you at any time soon. But if it does and it wasn't our idea, sue them. And let us know. so that Or if it wasn't our bar, I mean. Right. Yeah. If it wasn't our idea, don't tell us, because then we'll just be sad that we could have been rich, but got beat to the punch. And we don't want to get sued, as remains the core goal of this podcast. It, it is one of our, sued. it is one of the uh, tallest of the tent poles here at Lamestream Media, Inc. My first thought when Ashanti is doing this bullshit, not, not real sound check, was I was like, oh. We're near the end of the season, so they may not have the budget 
for the theater and like pyro. And I was like, okay, I get where this is going, but we'll get the actual performance later, which again, not in the theater, but in Mystique. And also Danny and Fred will later be in what I think is the actual canal shops or the Caesar shops. And so I was like, well, okay, I don't get it. Why are we doing the sound check here? But either way, we are. And there's one other person hanging out during the sound check. And it's a super naked Fred hanging out in the bathtub. I mean, if if you can't go to a sound check in jacuzzi, why wouldn't why would you ever go? I guess put it another way, if you have the opportunity to attend a sound check in your very own hotel suite, why not? Fred just continuing his ascent in life. My man is living the dream, apparently now dating Ashanti, which, hey, good poll, Fred. Where was Ashanti and her celebrityness at this time? Like, was she desperate enough that she would agree to this contrived storyline that she might actually be dating a Fred Puterbach? The problem with Ashanti is every song that you think of Ashanti is not an Ashanti song. Nine out of ten times, it's a Jaw Rule track. What about Crocodile Rock? Is that an Ashanti? You're a bad person, and I hate you for it, you monster. Speaking of monsters, Fred is dating Ashanti and takes this opportunity to request a meeting with Ed and Danny and also marry, as long as you're here, a threesome with you and Ashanti here in this tub. Fred has learned in the arc that we've known him that apparently he has found the eternal hot hand. His unlimited turbo will never go away. So you might as well just keep shooting your shot because, hey, it's usually working for him. It is NBA Jam on fire mode where a miss doesn't take away your on fireness. Yeah, he he hit the illegal code that only the developers know for permafire. Just says, fuck it. I'm just going to keep taking these shots. And I mean, honestly, if I'm in his situation, I do. It's coming. It's all coming up aces. So fuck it. Yeah, may as well. Speaking of fucking, Danny's been watching a couple banging in the East Elevator for 20 minutes before Ed calls his attention to a guy handing out flyers on the casino floor. And Danny, I have to ask, setting aside that he should have been doing his job for the last 19 of those minutes, what is the point of having multiple monitors if you can't do your voyeuring on one monitor and you're jobbing on another? Why did he need this monitor switched over? We we know that he has a dedicated voyeuristic monitor because we've seen it throughout the season. This episode was easily the horniest Danny has been all season. Like this was this was a throwback to season one. Just always DTF Danny. He bounced back from his best friend dying last episode in a hurry. Yeah, he uh, not a lot of lingering issues with that one. So I have to preface this with obviously I've never worked security and surveillance for a large casino. But I'm wondering, what does Danny do in the lead up to fantasy football season? How does he do all of his mock drafts at work if he hasn't mastered the art of the multiple monitors? Mm. This is an excellent question. Timely as well. We're about to start the season. Danny boy. Mitch, Mitch, throw up a mock draft on P1 and another one on P2 and another one on P3. Here's the thing. You know that Mitch has won the league the last six years in a row. Correct. Because he's the only one that takes it seriously. Mike thinks he's doing some Moneyball analytics bullshit and has never done better than fourth. The one year that it wasn't Mitch, like Mary won because she drafted the team that she thought had the cutest guys. Danny, relying on his old high school football days, thinks he knows better than everyone else. Just garbage at it. Well, and he never, ever works the waiver wire. That's where Mitch is eating him up. Because you know Mitch, 
he's like during fantasy football season, he's specifically scheduling himself on graveyard shifts when waivers reset. So he's not squandering his position. He's just get like he's always waiver order 12 of 12, but he's still getting all that good, good on Tuesday morning and Thursday morning when shit unlocks because he's like, yeah, whatever. I was working is I, I was there for the 3 a.m. slot. Where were you, Danny? Oh, you haven't taken your injured quarterback who tore his MCL in the second week off the team yet. Good work, kid. Fred gets his face to face with Ed. Turns out he is not only a millionaire now, but he is a billionaire. That's that's a good Pokemon evolution. I'm a little surprised. We'll, we'll come to find out he's actually worth a little north of two billion. I'm going to go ahead and say Fred's the guy that says he's a multi-billionaire. Without a doubt. Like, don't call me a millionaire. Pause for comedic dramatic effect. I'm a multi-billionaire, bitch. Put some spec on that pewter box, motherfucker. Fr- Fred would definitely want all possible super relatives thrown onto the top of that. So, yeah, I think you're dead on. He shoots a shot by saying, Ed, I owe you a thank you, and it shall manifest itself in the form of shopping. Gotta know your customer, Fred. Come on. Yeah, we, We've seen Ed's disdain for shopping throughout the show, mostly in relation to his wife and daughter taking all of his money to do it. Which is why I thought this was an excellent opportunity to say, Fred, if you want to take me shopping as a thank you, the way you do it is you take my wife and my daughter shopping on your credit card. That is the thank you. That is a legit, not just fuck with Danny. You're doing me a solid, saving me money. Everyone wins. Yeah, you get double bonus points out of that for Ed. That would have been the much smarter play. Ed instead makes up that he's got a bunch of meetings. But Danny, oh, Danny boy. His schedule is clear. I'll make sure of it. You two go shop till you drop. Have yourselves some fun. But first, Danny has to go take out this flyer guy who, once again, clocks Danny's approach before Danny manages to enter stealth mode. And flyer guy assassin creeds into the crowd. I hate when you beat me to the joke. It always hurts. But yes, it was a flawless hide in the crowd as Danny just gets stuck by a parade of octogenarians, apparently. Never had a chance. I thought we were headed for some real Metal Gear Solid shit where Danny's just like, I don't know what that sound was. Oh, well, back to security. Yeah, back to security. But no, my uh, competence meter went off because he calls up Mitch. Uh, Yeah, I I lost the dude. Any chance you could run a video IQ on him? Uh, Yeah, he's uh, four feet away from you at the craps table. Look, why don't you look around, Danny? Use those Mark One eyeballs. Hey, here's the thing. At least he's remembering he had the toys to use at the time. As opposed to 30 minutes later after we do another commercial break and then go, oh, you know, we do have literally a billion cameras in this joint. Maybe one of them picked up this guy. You're right. You're right. I'm, I, I, Danny can't win for losing with me on that one. So I'll, I'll, I'll take that back. Way to use the tools and toys that he has. Danny does not hoard his special ammunition. He goes ahead and fires it away. Danny quickly finds the dude at the craps table, grabs him. We're going to learn a little bit. Tries to say, what well, I'm just enjoying myself at the craps table. Whatever could you be worried about? Danny says, yeah, but what about those flyers? I've never seen a flyer before. Danny did just he, goes. Did he jack Colonel Sanders? He did. At the craps table. <laughs> yeah, this guy actually played by Foghorn Leghorn. I do declare. Where did these flyers come from? Oh, my. I have the vapors. <laughs> oh, my stars and goddess. Danny pulls the flyers out of his jacket. Dude claims to be a a handicapping savant, a a gambler's best friend. And on it has a quote from one Big Ed DeLine. 
saying best he's ever seen. Danny was just going to throw our young friend out of the casino, but now, now we're going to have a little fun. Come with me. Ed loves to see his name in print. Oh. It's fun. Turns out this sports tout was originally a club magician that did legitimately meet Big Ed about a decade ago. And up in his office, Ed's like, yeah, I do remember you, but I'm going to take a little bit of umbrage with this pull quote because I never said this. And I sure shit wasn't talking about your terrible sports picks. Do me a favor. Forget you know my name. uh, The one eight and a half by 11 flyer. There's not a lot of room for context there, especially when you got to get the the eye pulling graphics. So maybe a little bit left off in the uh, truth meter here. Ed, I know that this is normally your corner, but if you'll allow me, kids, if anyone ever tries to sell you sports picks and they aren't your co-hosts, Ed and Judd, don't listen to them. It's good. They're bad a, sports picks. A good caveat. I appreciate you throwing that in there. If we try and sell you them, you should probably not bet them, but you should definitely pay for them. Definitely pay for them. Yeah. Just because you want to know which way the market's going. That's all. It's for entertainment purposes only. But do not do not ever bet a sports tip. Because here's the thing. If it was real, and this is the secret part, they would bet it and not tell you. It's good advice, Judd. Guys like, look, I get it. I'll leave. I'll reprint the flyers. But you're being really cool about it, which this guy Arnie's right. They are being exceptionally cool about this. He says, so let me throw you a real life tip as a five star lead pipe lock of the week. That dude next to me at the craps table is throwing loaded dice. I'll see you later. Tip your waitress. Arnie's lucky that while Danny reverted back to season one, Danny, Ed stayed in fairly cool, calm and collected season two, Ed. Because this could have gone very wrong for him, Danny. Yeah, because Ed's like, uh, sure, dipshit. Not only am I letting you skate on this, but now you're saying that we're all bad at our jobs. You've managed to bust a dice cheat that none of us saw. Fucking first half season one, Ed cuts this guy's balls off and feeds them to him. Yeah, he's he's in the desert with our last four producers. But luckily for him, five. You forgot one. No. Uh, Oh, oh, right. Wink, wink. Danny kind of sheepishly is like, so do I even worry about this dice tip? And it's like, eh, fuck it. Why not? Go go take a look-see. We come down to the craps table. Ness is also walking up. We've got a, a nice pincer maneuver from the staff at the Montecito here. Ness tells the croupier, switch the dice on the next roll. Guy wants the niner. He's hurt. It's fine. Next throw, eh, a five, which means- Boy, has got to be hopping. He's so close. Got to be hopping that. If you get guys, if you get a nine, you pop the five. Come on. Ness pulls the dice, checks them. They seem to be clean, but our thrower is a bit offended. He's like, hey, I'm I'm on a fucking good roll here. Why are you taking my dice? And that's how you know that he's actually up to no good because he's only a bit offended. Right. Your host, Eddie McCarthy, would lose his mind at the dice being switched on him in the middle of a hot roll. Not just me. If it happened to anyone at the table that I'm at middle of a hot roll, I'm losing my mind because Judson, what was the next throw? Yo, seven out. Yeah. Whoopsies. Tale as old as time. As was foretold by the prophets. If anything disrupts the flow, seven out. Yeah. If you and I are on that table, we're both calling no joy off roll. We want out. I want fucking refunds. I want RFB. I want show <laughs> tickets. I'm getting I'm getting on fucking TikTok and staging a flash mob. Is that still a thing we do? I don't know, but I'm doing it. I am. 
I'm invoking my Third Amendment right to no illegal quartering of soldiers. Jim Amendment, save us. But yeah, the fact that he just quietly drifts off into the night instead of throwing a wall-eyed fit is how you know this guy's a cheat. Yeah, because while the dice that Nessa grabbed might have been clean, our boy Arnie, here for the investigation still, says, wait, the waitress just picked up his drink. Look in the cup. Of course the dice are going to be in his drink. Sure enough, reach a hand into what appears to be a whiskey and coke of some form. Find yourself a couple of dice. Ness checks them, they're loaded. Now, here is the weird thing. When this guy, because it's fucking Arnold that reaches into the cocktail, and we're thinking, oh, he's a magician, I thought maybe he had put them there. That was where my head went to, actually. I was like, oh, this is some Pitt and Teller fool us bullshit. And he's going to be, oh, look, loaded dice. Anyway. Surprise. Ed starts to give chase and then realizes he's the boss. He pays people to run. He doesn't have to run at work. Tells Mike to grab our cowboy, backroom him. Everybody's happy. Deputy Mike here. I caught myself a rustler down here at the Triple R Ranch. Why don't you head on down here? Let's take it to the pokey. Well, not everybody. Because at this moment, a whale strolls over to Big Ed and says, Ed, we got beef. I'm a big player. I carry a lot of water in this town. And you just charged my wife $275 for a bikini wax. And I immediately remember this bit. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is actually a really funny C or D story. But yeah, nameless whale, rip shit angry about three bills spent getting his wife's cooter de-haired. Yeah. Thank you for the free room, the free food, the thousands and thousands of dollars of things I've been comped for. But this bill from the salon will not stand, sir. Yeah, I probably just spent $3,000 per spin at the roulette table, but I'm going to argue about a salon service. That's not like 275 or zero. It's probably like 275 or 175. You know, it's not like she was supposed to go in for a $29 bikini wax and got hit with three bills. Like, what is this guy arguing about? I don't know. Also, I feel like $29. I don't know what a bikini wax costs, but I feel like I would also not trust a $29 bikini wax. It's like the $9 lobster. You're like, no, I'm good. This should this should cost more. There's a safety component that's not being factored in here. Are you eating your biscuit with a fork and knife? Yeah, don't let my hands get What? Get no, my, oh my God, you cannot do this. This is too here. classy get for Red Lobster. Get out of Red Lobster. They head back to security where the new female Ruiz from last week, Detective Ginny Rowe, has shown up to see what all the ruckus is about. And they've queued up the tapes where the dice cheat hopefully reaches both his hands below the rail to grab his drink and presumably the loaded dice and then pulls them back up the rail so that he could cheat in full view of the camera, which what a Mitch. Well, no, Mitch is sitting next to them at the table running the cage. Oof. Oof. I think Yiddish puns are anti-Semitic. I think you're in tr- you're canceled now, bro. Hey, you're the one that said Mitch when you meant Minch. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? Yeah, he, he was very helpfully giving the Alka-Seltzer-esque commercial like drop into the water <laughs> with the dice. Yep. And and Detective Jenny's like, yeah, I think we got him. Hey, is um is Danny here? Any chance that hot white boys bouncing around here? You know, for cop reasons. Yeah, I w- granted the only time you've seen that we've seen of them together, I was very dismissive and wanted nothing to do with him. But there was that lovely little locking of eyes at the fucking funeral of <laughs> the former detective. Yeah, I, I was kind of officious and understandably cold to him initially. 
But when I saw him introducing that kid to her grandparents at the worst possible moment, it flooded my basement. So I was wondering if he was around. You know, it's, it's going to be a rough how did we meet story at the wedding in a couple of years, but it's better than Tinder. <laughs> Danny can't be here, though, because he is shopping with Fred. We're at the what looks to be the outdoor Caesar shops. Danny's like, look, man, you don't have to do this. I'm good. Fred says, no. When someone saves your life and you want to make a ridiculously extravagant purchase to thank them, that's what gets done. And trust me, I'm about to waste so much money on you. It's good. And blah, 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 blah. And Fred just goes on and on and on. Danny could not look more uncomfortable if he tried. Fred's response, which I think is the correct one, is, okay, let's get you liquored up on some wine first. Good call. Great call. I don't understand why Danny is being this way. I know why Ed's this way. Ed is ordinary and crotchety and already super wealthy. If I'm Danny, I'm like, cool, we're going to a jewelry store and I'm going to get the nicest watch you're going to let me get that I'm later going to sell. Maybe stepping on my toes a little bit now, but <laughs> yeah, pretty, uh, pretty much. And what's why, funny is- Why is he so awkward about, I mean, hey, listeners, if any of you want to buy us lavish presents, go right ahead. Oh, please, we, we will take them. We will open up, email us, we'll open up a PO box for the show, because obviously if you're going to spend six figures on us, I'm not giving you our actual addresses. And then you can send us Whatever ludicrously expensive item that we can then later turn into actual cash that you'd like. It may not be drugs or otherwise illegal. But other than that, knock yourself out. We've also fully established that Danny has no problem accepting gifts. He took the watch. He wanted to take the video game systems, but only turned it down because Ed was right there over his shoulder. I think it was more just he does not want to spend any more time with Fred. And to me, this is the okay, the only way. Past this is through it. Completely agreed. Ed has given you the green light. So you're like, cool. Cartier, Rolex, whatever. Here we come. Fred, this shit's going to be over in 30 minutes. Hope your credit limit's high. Appreciate you, bud. Yeah. I think what I really need, you know, I've found that when I have just the one watch, I wear it too much. The leather gets creased. I don't have time to properly clean them. I look like I only have one watch, like I'm some some kind of poor. <laughs> I'm thinking if I had like a week's worth of Rolexes, that Ooh. would be really, you know, more my speed. You know what I mean? I probably ate Fred in case one's down for maintenance. Smart. That's, that's, that's a good plan. So why don't we just go get eight of the nicest Rolexes that they have in the store right now? Yeah. Forget that they're all the same. I'm not too worried about that. I just want them to be very expensive and I'm out. And look, then you keep one. There you go. Uh, see? Sell seven, keep one, and you're this thing's done in 30 minutes. But sadly, Danny did not pick up on that. Back in the hotel, Detective Jenny's going to perp walk our dice cowboy out while Arnold By is the way, trying to this guy's not nearly cool enough to be the dice cowboy. Dice cowboy is an honorific that I think we need to say for somebody more deserving. You know what? That's very fair. Withdrawn. Dice cowpoke, perhaps, I would accept. Mm, okay. I'll, 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 I'll allow it. Dice ranch hand. Cow, cowpoke feels a little more dismissive. So I feel like that's the direction <laughs> we really want to go with it. Perfect. But either way, Arnold is trying to give a fucking prostate check to a slot machine. It seems like as Ed walks up a little curious about what he's doing, but says, hey, here's an envelope. You get a $500 reward for the tip under the Montecito. See something, say something plan. And you know what? I doubled it. 
go get yourself some new flyers. Get the fuck out of here. Oh, no, no, Big Ed. I know where I'm spending this money. I'm sorry, investing it. And that is on the White Sox. Because it's my lead pipe of the time period to be named later lock of the other time period. Yeah, it's it's not the lock of the week. It's not the lock of the year. It's not even the lock of the century. It's quote unquote, the lock with no name. Clear sign this guy is not a legit gambler because he's not diversifying his picks. He is resorted to couch surfing the coin tray of slot machines looking for somebody who's forgotten a dollar and then said, hey, here's a thousand dollars. I'm going to go blow it all in one game. Buddy, spread it out over three or four. And that's also three or four drink tickets. Have yourself a night. Yeah, let's get weird with it. He tells Ed, hey, between you and me now, we're really even. You take that one to the bank. We're both living fucking mansions and benzes, giving ends to our ends, and it feels stupendous. God, can you imagine what Arnold would be like if he was in Danny's spot right now with Fred's credit card? Just ever, they're stopping at every single shop. Arnold, Arnold would be living it up. No, I think it's like, hey, what's the uh, the cash advance limit on your MX Black? Because I got some picks. I got some action I need to get down. There's a Wimba game about to tip off that I've got a great feeling about the second half under. No, this, there's no way this guy is advanced enough that he's betting WNBA second half unders. No chance. Touche. We come upon back in the casino, Sam just berating some girl seemingly about her menstrual cycle. I don't care about your female problems. I would, however, like you to get to work on time. On time. On time. What else could she have meant by her female problems? Unless she's talking about having to deal with men. But like, what else is new? Sam had a very specific type of energy in this episode that I think I loved, but it was definitely a kind of different Sam than we usually get. Oh, yeah. Ed inquires about the bikini wax overcharge and wants Sam to get to the bottom of it, which she will. But also, she'd like Ed to himself get waxed. Yeah, she took the question as meaning that Ed was intrigued by the possibility and Sam was very into it. Sam was unnecessary. Sam was dainty levels of horny about the prospect of Big Ed getting his sack waxed. It was hilarious. I loved every part of this scene. She finally gives Ed the info that he wants, but she's going to keep coming back to this over and over and over again. Like, hey, I know that's not what you meant, but maybe you should have meant it. You know what I mean? Uh And she even does that like hip out, hand on hip, like, I'll fuck you, Ed. Get this wax job and... I'll fucking blow your socks off. Let's go. <laughs> it was it was something else. Speaking of something else, can I interest you in a one hundred and eighty six thousand dollar Chinese dragon statue? I mean, if Fred's picking up the tab, I could find a corner for it. It seems like Danny realized at some point he just needed to get something stupidly expensive that was fungible, but chose the least fungible, stupidly expensive thing he could find. He had finally broken down and just happened to be right outside the shop where it was. And he goes, fuck that, like without even looking and just happened to find himself pointing at this ridiculous statue. I think they would somehow found themselves at the win. And this was just like art. And Danny's like, I want that. And they're like, it's not for sale. And Fred's like, anything's for sale. Call Steve Wynn. Get Steve Wynn on the blower. Steve's like, yeah, I'll make a deal. He's like, it cost me $17,000. I'll sell it to you for 186 grand. Sold. And now Danny's getting up eBaying it for $9,500. I don't think he's getting more than $95 for that on eBay. 
Somehow that though is not as bad as the hideous quarter million dollar watch that he gave Ed. I believe it was a triple spinner watch. Like This thing was ridiculous. I get that its value lies in the sheer number of diamonds, but this has to be one of those situations where it is the sum is far, far less. No, wait. Yeah, no, you're on it. Hang on. If it was if it it is worth less than the sum of its parts. There you go. That works, too. But it's not what what I'm getting at is the it, all it of the is diamonds value. are worth a lot. And the way that they put them together made it worth considerably less. And yet it was probably, again, charged to Fred at considerably more. Really the worst way to go about doing things. Yeah. So like you take this watch to the watch chop shop and they're like, we'll give you 75 grand for it for all the loose diamonds. And it's like, but it's worth 250. Uh, not no, eight. it's not. <laughs> you paid 250. Doesn't mean it's worth 250. <laughs> Motherfucker, Lisa sold her dad a rock for five dollars that kept tigers away. That'd mean that rock was worth five dollars. <laughs> the thing is, though, that's not the real present. What is the real present? Oh, baby. Fred is buying the Montecito, the gift that keeps on giving. And Mike does a deep dive on the guy. Sure enough, this is where we find out he's worth more than two billion dollars and is in pretty good position to actually buy it. And Ed is pretty worried about that situation. And I have to wonder why. I mean, the personal annoyance of Fred aside. Ed is seeming, in my opinion, to be thinking so myopically. He knows how to manipulate Fred. This feels to me like it would be another opportunity for a raise, promotion, board seat, whatever. And Ed's playing checkers when he could be playing chess. I completely agree with you. I guess what he's worried about is that Fred is going to be more hands-on than our current owner, Brunson. And that because Fred is a fly-by-night idiot, he's going to make decisions that are going to sink the ship. Which is a very realistic possibility. I think we need to be clear. I don't doubt Fred's ability to torpedo the Montecito. But at the same time, the guy has somehow managed to parlay his assets into $2 billion. So it seems to me that if we follow this arc toward its natural completion, we would all make fun of Fred for half a season, only to then find out that the Montecito is worth three times as much as when he bought it, because his idea to introduce karaoke, but with the tracks where the artists are actually singing, was a fucking gold mine. Yeah, as Ed reminds us, he showed up with three bucks in his pocket and a suicide note, and has somehow parlayed all of that into $2 billion plus. Yeah, if, if you're in a position to buy the ledge you almost jumped off of, your life has taken a surprisingly large upswing. In a very, well, time time vortex aside, seemingly a very short amount <laughs> yeah, of time. And what we perceive to be a very rapid fashion. Arnold shows up with the White Sox having cash, and I would have bet all of my money that they were not going to have. But this is a slow burn, sucker man with his false brilliance. And he says, hey, I knew you weren't going to accept my tip. So here's 200 bucks in the grossest, sweatiest, old, oldest $100 bills that a cashier has ever paid out at a casino. And Ed looks revolted at it. Yeah, he just refused, like taking the pen to slide it back towards him. Says, hey, appreciate it. I can't take this. And Mike's you like, should have shown him the watch and been like, bro, this, this, if you want to give me gifts, is more my speed. Quart quarter mil, not this $200 bullshit. You have to get me a watch that looks like it came out of a gachapon machine at the front of an HEB, but it must be worth a quarter of a million dollars. Then and only then will I accept your gift. Now, ski daddle. Arnold says, okay, okay. 
Uh, you don't want a little taste of the candy. That's fine. But here, you thought you thought the lock with no name was good. Here's the picks for this weekend. Note, not a lock, not a lock of any kind. But he feels real good about the Devil Rays. <laughs> R.I.P. Yeah, I'm, my first thought was, hey, Arnold, you know what? I'm going to hold off. You let me know when you have another lock with no name. I want your five star picks, not this watered down three star bullshit. Yeah, just just because you hit one doesn't mean that I'm now intrigued to subscribe to your newsletter. Sam goes to check at the salon and we meet for the first time Polly, who's one of the estheticians and manicurists and pedicurists, etc. And she's going to be a recurring character for the run of the show, who is a we have to be very clear about this, a unabashed racist caricature of Korean salon workers. I mean, there's just no two ways about it. At the same time, fucking hilarious. I love Polly. I'm so glad Polly is here. We're going to have a lot of fun with Polly over the years. Polly is Mitch levels of awesome in very different ways. But like, <laughs> I am always happy to see Polly. There's there's really never a miss with her. Uh, I, in doing some research on this, I learned. So this was one of Suzanne Wang's better known roles. And unfortunately, two years ago, she died of cancer that she actually was initially diagnosed with during the run of the show. Ooh, that sucks. Yeah, she had, she had a 13-year run where she was fighting cancer. Damn. Yeah. Well, R- so this R- was R- one P- of her better-known roles, and she she will be a joy for many, many episodes to come. And Polly maintains, no, Sam, I did not overcharge for the waxing because the client was, quote, she hated like man. And that she used 37 strips of paper, which when turned over, I leave the sheet look like a jungle. Polly. Polly is not one for subtlety. We will later learn that Sam claims to be a two stripper. So 37 strips just seems like an obscene amount of coverage. Yes, it does. Like could have done waist down to the toes with 37 strips of paper. Either way, Polly says, look, if anything, 275 was an undercharge. She got off easy. So she and you and the whale can all fuck yourselves. I'm going back to work. Love you. Bye. To which Sam replied, I love, wait, why am I saying I love you? But was already halfway through, so she had to finish it. It, Oh, just the best. I feel like if Polly is the gate agent and she tells you to have a safe flight, she gets a lot of U2s. For sure. Arnold is outside in the parking garage talking to two big collars as Ed just happens to walk up. Arnold says he's been robbed. Some guy came up, said he had a gun, took the two Gs that he just made off the White Sox game. And also a, a what's the name of the figurines? I didn't even try writing it down because it was so stupid. It is. I will only say say this once. A cutie chum. Cutie chum. There it is. Yeah. Arnold says, look, I wasn't going to bug you. You don't need to do anything. Ed says, no, you just got fucking stuck up by a dude with a gun. That's armed robbery. That's ex- that's a bad thing. We're going to go inside and call the cops. Arnold's like, no, 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 no cops. The uh, the little figurine that he took might have been a fake, which we never really get back to this, but it made me think that Arnold was trying to counterfeit the little figurines and there was no, some scam. I, see, I think Arnold is just looking for a less embarrassing way out of this mm. than the truth, which is, look, I'm living outside the law and therefore I don't think I want the protection and the attention of it because I haven't paid my taxes in, you know. A while. Yeah. Were the IRS to be alerted to my presence, that would be not good for me. So let's just not worry about it. Which, and I want to be clear, this is not the advice corner of the podcast. I 
don't think is how police complaints work. Yeah, I don't think so either. But uh, you like know. he's going to file a complaint and the IRS is going to be, oh, hey, Metro, arrest that man for not filing taxes. I, unless he had a warrant out, I guess, is the only thing I could figure. But that, again, don't think that's how that goes. Either way, Ed says, all right, come inside. Let's look at some tape. We'll see if we can figure something out. OK, sure, I'll do that. But I was just robbed. Any chance I can get a loan? I mean, I got those hot picks that I just gave you. Come on. Ed, again, in calm, cool, collected season two fashion, says, no, I'm not going to give you any fucking money, you goddamn moron. But I'll hook you up with a job here. You can you can work, earn some money. I have a question, Ed. Yes, Jason. When you're giving a statement to the police, are you often asked for your social security number? No. When you start employment at a multinational corporation, are you often asked for your social security number? That seems like a yes. Which one do we think is more likely to pique the IRS's interest? It, it does seem like the second one would. Yeah. I, you know, the job is going to be landscaping at the Montecito. Now, if it were landscaping at his and Jillian's place and Ed's just going to peel off a hundo at the end of the day, I get it. But like, hey, Amy, this is your new employee, Arnold. Give him an orange polo shirt and a safari hat and show him how to use the clippers is, I think, going to also involve the trip to HR to get him in the system. Yeah, let's go ahead and get a W-9 out there, too, while we're at it. Like, Guys, like Arnold, now is the time for you to be concerned about the IRS. It wasn't a minute ago. It is for sure right now. Yeah, I can't say that part made a whole lot of sense. Here, we need to discuss something much more important, however. And what's that? We're in Mystique. Dee and Nessa are sitting sad at a table when Sam is going to walk by, just cheery as can be, and yell out, Bonito, flash her titties, and order a Cobb salad and an iced tea. Well, order a Cobb salad, realizes she forgot the drink. Another flash, iced tea to go. Is this proof Benito is real? I think it is. He is not a figment of Gunther's imagination, which is disappointing. It is. It really is. But hey, I guess we've now solved that equation. I also would note that Sam is, which is not always the case for her, wearing a bra. So Benito is giving away free food for a partial flash. Mm, you know, I feel like Benito should, should be holding out for more. Well, you know, Benito, Benito can, is going to get what Benito can get. So... Hey, for it's not your money. And I'm saying if you know Sam, like I know Sam, you can get more than a bra enshrined flash of those of those titties. Mm. Yeah, you're not wrong. Maybe maybe it's just because the order was so, you know, salad and an iced tea. That's easy. When she wants something a little more, you get a little more. The Chilean, the Chilean sea bass gets nipples. Filet, she's got to go for the cooter. <clears throat> filet, you get the filet? <laughs> I should I think the, the better joke was like fish tacos. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And then something about the brown piece of meat and brown town. I'm glad we're live punching this up on the air for the children <laughs> as we make our inappropriate sex jokes like the perverted kids. Well, remember, are. jokes are jokes are funniest when they're explained, but they're second funniest if you improve them while you're talking to the audience. L- live workshopping is always what people are looking for out of their comedy. This is the competitive improv brainstorming hour brought to you by Judd and Ed. <laughs> Sam tells the girls she's just trying to keep up morale, which seems like a good idea because these two are just so down in the dumps. What's wrong, girls? Yeah, they are big time bumming because they treated Fred poorly in the past and they've heard about the rumors of him buying the place. 
and they're pretty sure he's going to fire them. Sam says, hey, this is easy. Just fuck him. She was not so bold. I mean, that was obviously inf- the inference, but sir, I mean, sir. Yeah, OK, you're right. Neither one seem all that excited about having to get back on Fred's good side, but I'm not sure on top of his dick is really his good side, but hey, maybe I don't know. Got him. <clears throat> Danny reviews the tapes. Can't find the robber because the armed robbery took place in a blind spot, which is awfully convenient. But they do find the gift shop figurine weirdo, a Cliff Hanner or Hainer, I don't know, who lives in Summerlin. And as is his want, Danny wants to call the cops, which Ed objectively falsely accuses him of never wanting to do. I'm like, Ed, have you met the same Danny I've met? This is the guy that always wants to call the cops. Yeah, we, we spent the last year and a half hearing him want to call the cops and you telling him, no, we're not going to call. The right. Cops. This was kind of y'all's thing. This was like your fucking Carl Malone and John Stockton. <laughs> hey, Ed, we should call the cops. No, fuck you. Say it again. I'll kill you. OK, like no joke. Six or seven different times. Oh, at least. Ed, of course, the only thing that I can figure just wants to take the opportunity to burn Danny and say, you just want to call the cops because you want to fuck that new lady detective, don't you? Maybe. Yeah, Dan- Danny uh, does not do a very good job of hiding things. Ed, just delighted with himself, goes, look, I'm not here to help out your personal life. I'm going to go check on this guy. Just do your fucking job. Yeah, if you want her so badly, just call her. Meanwhile, Fred is waking up in bed next to a seemingly naked Nessa, a seemingly naked Delinda, and then a mystery, seemingly naked Sam. And they all seem to have really genuinely enjoyed their time when a FOMO Mary shows up unzipping her dress as we go into commercial. And a careful observer of the show might be thinking, this seems to be the stuff of dreams. It does seem incredibly unlikely for any of this to be happening. Sure enough. Turns out he's been calling Mary's name out while she and Ashanti were one room over in the suite conducting business. And somehow Fred's going to get out of this again. Unscathed. I thought for sure we were going to get a shot of the women like looking down. I didn't think they were going to show him pitching a tent in the blankets, but I thought for sure they were going to imply that he was and therefore they were calling bullshit on him. Yeah, get some kind of a joke about it out, but no, nothing. Which I think is another missed opportunity for comedy. When they finally make their return to Peacock, hopefully they will not drop the ball on that one. We're back in security and they're checking the tapes. Hayner went straight from the shops with the chimichurri chims to the salon. No dice. Ed says, all right, let's bring this idiot up here. Have him watch the tapes. See what we can. Or Danny says, let's bring the idiot up. Get him to see the tapes. See if there's anybody he recognizes. We just got to find him. Ed says, don't worry. He's here. I gave him a job. Danny just bewildered. (laughs) Yeah. Why are we still dealing with this fucking idiot? And Ed says, hey, you know, so sometimes I like helping people out. He helped us get the cheat. He seems like a good guy, whatever. And then just slaps the fuck out of Danny in the back of the head, which seemed very unnecessary, but was fantastic. Guy comes up. They look at the tapes. What about this guy? No. What about this guy? No. All right. Well, thanks for nothing. Very reluctantly, Ed says, all right, Danny, go ahead and get Detective Rowe involved. Might as well. Have fun with your girlfriend. Delinda comes across Fred on the casino floor and apologizes, clears the air, gets it all out. Hey, sorry about that bartending internship thing. Please don't fire me later. No problem. Let's just instead have the longest, creepiest hug in the history of two people. 
Fred asks if Dee thinks that they have a special connection. And Delinda, of course, just trying to save her ass for later, says, of course I do. Sure, let's weird hug. And there is no chance that Delinda has saved her ass for later. Um, well played. Well played. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. This this hug goes on for at least 30 seconds too long. And by that, we mean it was a 33 second hug. Correct. Fred heads over to the blackjack table. He wins a bunch of money. And then when summoned by Big Ed, suggests that the dealer just divide the money up amongst the other folks at the table. Now, the extreme close up shows 3000 out there when he gets a blackjack. That'd be $7,500 right away. But that disappears when we cut to the wide shot. So let's set that aside. That was wormhole money. Never existed. Okay. But we do get a view of his stacks. He's got two stacks of about 18 blacks each. So that's 3600 He's got a stack of about 20 pumpkins. So that's 10 grand. 11 yellows, 11 grand. An additional four pumpkins floating around is another two. So something on the order of 25 to 30K, which is going to get divided up between what looks like three players. That is a great day for those people. Uh, yeah. Why is this game even remotely fun for Fred? Based on the $2 billion number, this 30 grand represents 15 ten thousandths of 1% of the low estimate of his network. Yeah, this was definitely like Fred just burning time, enjoying his beverage. A lesson to the reader, estimate your net worth, divide by 100, multiply by 15, divide by 10,000, and then ask yourself, would that amount of wagering have any consequence in your life, positively or negatively? Sometimes it's just about the competition. Maybe it's just the love of the game. By the way, if you answer yes, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. You are a gambling addict. (laughs) Ed wanted to chat with Fred about the very peculiar needs and demands of running a casino and how bad Fred will be at this. And come on, man, we've got all these people. They've got all these jobs. There's like 5,000 of them. Are you really going to torpedo everyone? No, 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 no. Relax, Eddie, baby. I've got the Malusers involved. Out on Fred. We're out on Fred. I was Fred had a good run. Rip Fred. He made it to season two, episode 23. He's gone. Yeah, he tells Ed, look, I know I know it's big business. I'm bringing in people who can kill, who can help me out. He's got the fucking Maloofs in this suite. Turns out they're not even putting up any money. Just Fred's going to bankroll the whole thing. And the Maloofs admit Montecito has been kicking the palms ass. Figure we can't beat you. So we'll just buy you with his money. I mean, a smart, but douchey as hell move by four of our least favorite people in the history of the show. Yeah, I mean, it, it tracks pretty well. And for this reason, Fred, we are out. Dead to us. The line must be drawn here. This far, no farther. And I will make them pay for what they've done. Ultimately, the worst part of the worst part of the losers being involved was that I somehow forgot about them. It was such like an out of left field like what? Yeah, they're back. I could have. Sw- God damn it! I could have sworn we were done with these assholes, and then out of nowhere. So infuriating. Guess they had to get some seed capital for the start of season three somewhere. Speaking of seed capital, Danny swings by Detective Rose's desk, looking to seed her capital. Nice, got her. And he's there to check the mo of this armed robbery with what happened to Arnold against others, and also do a very bad job of very good job of flirting. It- I. It seemed like it was a very, it started out rough, 
But apparently it worked because it started going real well for him. It feels like his looks are doing a lot of heavy lifting for some of the worst pickup lines since Fred's. Do you want to see something else that swell or something like this is a real like we've seen Danny spit game and this is not his a game. No, he's definitely still like trying to get back out there, but it seems to work because, hey, if Detective Ginny will go into some phone records that she's not supposed to do without probable cause, you know, which will render the entire investigation ruined. Uh, He'll not only buy her dinner, but hook her up with a room at the Montecito to which she asks, do you have a key to those rooms? And he's like, yes, I do right here that they went zero to 60 real fast. I've noticed that you've not called Detective Ginny by her last name. I have Is not. that because you refuse to play with me in the space of changing all the shitty detectives at Metro's last names to start with R when they shouldn't? It, so, it is precisely because I thought that it was Ho was the last name. Cho. Joe. Okay. Either way, when you said Ro, I was like, I'm almost positive that's not right. <laughs> but I didn't want to be wrong. And so now I'm just, I get the second Pokemon reference of the episode of we have Detective Ginny, supposed to Nurse Ginny, everywhere. And yeah, I wasn't sure what her last name was, so I was just trying to fucking dodge that bullet. I applaud the call out, though. Yeah, well, yeah, I felt like it was important since she is apparently just as bad as right hand Ruiz, but she carries on his legacy of having her name changed to start with an R improperly. I don't think we've seen evidence that she's bad at her job. Is she perhaps a little lax on the rules and moral obligations? I believe of the you job? just got done saying that she has just thrown this case away, like Ruiz is famous for doing. Well, was famous. <laughs> was indeed. That was just because Ruiz sucked at what he did. Jenny is just willing to bend the rules to get the job done, which I can respect. So Ruiz, earnestly trying his best and failing, not as good as Detective Rowe who will throw away a slam dunk conviction so that she can get railed by Danny in some weird dub con, non con bullshit in her hotel room at the Montecito. Is that where you're at? I just want to make sure we're crystal clear on this. I mean, it only gets thrown away if she gets caught. So, I mean, but yeah, you've, you've pretty much summed it up, right? Yeah. So Danny hangs out in this guy's front lawn chair as he rolls up. What would you do? I mean, you know you're a criminal. You know you're a small-time shitty criminal, and you see someone waiting for you in your front yard, someone who's a lot bigger than you, I might add. Take me down this role-playing journey. What would you do? Uh, I'm not pulling into the driveway. (laughs) Or I'm at least getting out, brandishing my small-time criminal weapon. Yeah, hopefully a gun, but maybe just like a small section of pipe. That's not where I thought that was going for a second. Where, where, pray tell, did you think it was going, Judson? There are so many of us to choose from. (laughs) I choose the fifth. Fifth? So yeah, he just walks right up to him, not realizing that Danny, or not caring, I don't know which, that Danny has like eight inches and 40 pounds on the dune. And he's like, hey man, I didn't do any of this shit. Danny says, ah, you know, I'm not buying that. We know, we got you dead to rights. Here's the thing, I don't really want you. I want this de- this uh, fucking sports book cashier that I've got working for me. You tell me what's going on with him and I'll cut you loose. Guy goes, all right. Yeah, we did it. He'd call me when he paid out somebody huge. This guy, Jack. But here's the deal. I never robbed him. I sold them information. And this not really real confession is enough for Detective Rowe to show up and bust him because Danny was wearing a wire. What was the crime he confessed to? 
at best a scam. Yeah. Was it saying that he sold info to other people that robbed them? It was very unclear to me. Yeah, I I missed what the scam was there. I I assume whatever they were doing was, in fact, illegal and they were going to get caught anyway. But the the description made zero sense to me. Now, I know this segment won't be as popular as dick or balls, but let's go to Eddie's legal corner. Is the fact that this guy confessed to Danny somehow going to allow all this to stick? Or is this all still fruit from the poisonous tree and Detective Rowe is going to get her shit pushed in by the DA? I'm pretty sure that a good defense attorney could turn all of this into fruit from the poison tree. But what about what about Petey Jake? Because that's who obviously this guy's going to catch. He's he's not got a good attorney. Mm, Yeah, he's 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 just going to try and do a plea deal. One more. I get a set of steak knives. The whale finds Big Ed wandering through the casino. And earlier he'd confronted Sam and Sam had been like, yep, you're right. Your wife was overcharged. Whole misunderstanding. And this guy's glibly bragging to Ed about, I was right. You guys are fucking overcharging my wife. What a travesty. Big Ed's willing to paper over it. He's like, this isn't quite right, but I don't really care. I'm not going to ruffle feathers. Sure. Yeah. All taken care of, though. He's like, yeah, just make sure you fire her or me and my rich friends will not be back to the Montecito. Which, of course, this is predictably blown up in Sam's face. Yeah. Also, fuck this guy. Yeah. Like, you got you got more than you deserved already. If he's willing to bounce over this, he's not the kind of person that's probably long for the Montecito anyway. Yeah, he's looking for an excuse. Meanwhile, Danny has an update. All the robbery dudes have been been busted, but the money wasn't found. And oh, by the way, I bet the devil race, which didn't hit, but at least some women are inviting me to the Maxim party. So I'm good now. And fuck Detective Rowe. I don't know. Later, Ed. Ed just wholly bemused by the entire thing. Just the full on shaking his head laughing as Danny's going to go join this group of girls. From like, you mean you actually bet the race to what about the detective lady friend to now this? And aren't you working? And I mean, Arnold's been lucky all episode that we've got season two, Ed. Danny is now very lucky that we've got season two, Ed. Yeah, Danny's just all over the place. The fact that he didn't even get accosted for slyly jerking it through his pants to the couple making out (laughs) in the elevator was step one. And he's just been skating by ever since. This is the problem when you let people, you know, it's a give a mouse a cookie problem. Ed's letting him skate. And I was like, fuck it. I'm going to knock off work early to go have a six way and at Mystique. Going to see going to see if anyone wants to see my golden Chinese dragon. Is that a sex maneuver? That's that's also what he calls his penis. Oh, okay. Ed finds Arnie drinking at the beautiful wax and he pitches him on a very dumb, very already existing idea for a condiment holder. Yeah, it's it's not a dumb idea. It's a great idea. That's why it's been around since like the fucking 1950s. Yeah, I guess what I mean when I say it's dumb is his elevator pitch around it is dumb. Oh, it's horrible. I mean, it's like imagine a world in which ketchup. And mustard don't have to be delivered one at a time, but instead together in a caddy. Yeah, his his ability to TM, TM, TM things is way worse than ours. To be fair, we're legendary at it. So I, I guess that is an unfair standard to hold the guy to. Again, it's like, look, I don't know how to tell you this, but you suck. Like your ideas are shit. Your sports betting picks are shit. By the way, I checked it. Here's your post-it note. All of them lost. You're terrible. Here's an idea. Why don't you go back to the thing I said you were actually good at? Go back to being a magician. I'll even set you up at the Moonlight Corner, our little shitty, you know, quasi dive bar off the side of the 
forward thing and, you know, do some shows. Get your sea legs back. Come on. I really enjoyed that he asked Arnold what his betting percentage was for the year. And Arnold says 48.5%. And Ed's point is, cool, so I'd have been better off flipping a coin. Judson, do you think there is any chance that he is hitting at a 48.5% clip? No, I, I think I think that was, it is much more likely that it was 38.5%. That's kind of what I was thinking. He just... Or, or 43.5%. That number, that number is rooted, in fact, but definitely got a bragging to my friends premium. Yeah, let's make it sound a little less embarrassing. Uh, I've, de- I've definitely banged 13 women. I, have you? Or has it been three? Maybe it's been three. I, didn't, I, think I, think so. I didn't think you'd notice I slipped the one on the front. None they of never them do. did. <laughs> ah! There it is. Cooperative improv. Don't worry, <laughs> listeners, we won't do that very often. Yeah, every now and then we just want to show you that we could do it. We just choose not to. We just want to show you the world. Shining, sparkling, and splendid. So tell me, princess. Keep going. Something something heart desire? Pretty much there. We'll give it to you. Yeah. Thing. See, this we got is what, the, the We got the je ne sais quoi. See, this is why, this I is why you the need the words sing? in the background. So you got you can <laughs> yeah. just let out those little ones. Thank you. Yeah. I can just, just mouth the watermelon while Aladdin takes me to the promised land like he's about to do Jasmine. There you go. TM, TM, TM. Sam is going to finally go up to the whale who is playing blackjack with his wife and say, hey, here's the deal. Uh, I wasn't fully candid with you earlier. The salon didn't overcharge. The, the charges were because the process used was challenging. But hey, I got you all these tickets. I got you, you know, you're set up. You're good. Whale's not going to let it go. So what the fuck you, there's no way. This is bullshit. Sam goes, look, when someone is an uh, excellent usage of her suit that she pops off with and the guy's like, I'm sorry, what did you just call my wife? Finally, much like Polly had to do 37 times, Sam is going to rip that bandaid and just say, yo, your wife is hairy as fuck, my guy. It was goddamn Chewbacca down there. Be lucky we didn't charge you more. I also think Sam did a really terrible job of setting it up. Talking about being challenging, should have just said it took a little bit longer. It required more supplies. It was an upcharge, like whatever. Wanted to make sure that your wife left happy with a a thorough job done. Yeah, I mean, there's better ways to spin it other than like it was challenging because. Yeah, you're going to step on some toes with that one. Like challenging is what you use when you talk like about a bad root canal. Like It was challenging. So, you know, sorry, not your fucking Sasquatch in your pants. So we had to charge more. Unsurprisingly, much like the hairy Bigfoot storming through the forest, they're going to walk off angry, claiming to never return. Not a not a good one for Sam here. And this is going to be a very timing, time consuming storm off, right? Because first they got to go to the cage because they have chips, then back to the room to pack, then the airport. By the time they get to the airport, they're not even going to be angry anymore. And she's going to be due for another wax, apparently. (laughs) See, that's why Sam can be a two stripper. The key is maintenance. You're not one and done. You got to stay on top of this shit. <laughs> you put her on a fucking regularly scheduled. Play. It's like Walmart layaway, but for cooter hair. Like we just got to every week chip in a chair. We'll get there eventually. That might be the worst sentence you've ever said. <laughs> At least certainly to me. Good Lord. That's. <laughs> <laughs> Walmart layaway. This guy. Oh Jesus! Ed is watching. Look, hang on. Here's, <laughs> let me just play. 
<laughs> just sure, dig, dig yourself out of this hole, please. No, I'm just going to put some soothing ointment on this scene, mm-hmm. which is if you're really that pissed off at, at the Montecito, why not milk this last trip for everything it's worth and then just not come back? Like maybe don't gamble anymore, but fucking go to all the shows, eat at all the restaurants and everything that she's doing. Make her think she's won back your business. And then when you're safely ensconced back in your hairless palace, say, hey, Sam, by the way, still pissed, never coming back. And I'm telling all my friends, but thanks for the lobster. Right there. As always, there are better ways to play it than we see. And and our boy did not do well. But, you know, he's also dealing with the emotional trauma of of that. Of of what? The the fight with Sam? No, of the men's locker room shower (laughs) hair trap that is his wife's. (laughs) vagina ed is watching arnold do his show for i don't know four people on this side of the casino and while he's still doing the same shirt off the back trick that ed saw 10 years ago does it well but ed's like look man you've had 10 years i know you've been doing all this other bullshit but let's let's update it a little bit you gotta gotta make things a little a little fresh arnold's like okay i got it and the note not said was maybe also don't talk about the guy whose wife is dead and then make a wife joke. Yeah, that was a you could tell it was bombing hard from the start. That, that was a note I think Arnold needed to hear. Yeah, because he definitely did not pick up on it from the lack of reaction. He was like, I guess they just don't like magic. I don't know. Partying in Mystique, Danny has apparently left the gaggle of attractive women that invited him to the party. He's just going to go kind of hit on Mary a little bit. Yeah, weirdly compare notes about their relative romantic exploits. Yeah, he asks about Jake, to which Mary replies as weirdly as she possibly could, but she's going to change the subject asking about Jenny. Danny says, how did you know about, I mean, nothing's happened. We haven't gone out yet. I don't want to talk about this with you. This is weird. Dude, you started it. (laughs) Well, and also Mary can't figure out why Danny thinks it's weird to talk about dating with the woman he proposed to that then turned him down. Like she can't crack that code. I mean, your point is a valid one. She should have been like, motherfucker, you started it. But to say, well, why is this weird? Is a real head in the sand that I find shocking even for Mary. Yeah, this was in the multitude of throwbacks to season one. This was sadly a throwback to Danny and Mary season one that really thought we'd put to bed. It looks like that. Danny's growing embarrassment is going to be covered up by timely entrance from Ashanti and our musical denouement, during which Fred passes a couple of Bevnap notes to Sam, letting her know, A, he's about to purchase the Montecito, and B, inquiring if she'd be interested in a three-way. My man is a volume shooter. He gets a a stern, pump your brakes, you know, index finger from Sam. He doesn't get a no. Like, she doesn't leave the table. Yeah, if if we've learned one thing about Sam, it's that when it comes to Ben, she would like to just be shallow and go for looks, but bankroll is kind of the number one requirement. I think she's been clear that he needs to have both looks and money. For marriage. Ah, okay. Well, and she's probably heard about the watch and the dragon statue and is thinking, hey, I mean, if she if she if he was thankful to Ed and Danny for saving his life, wait till he sees what I've got in store for him. Plus, also hooking up with Ashanti. Not all bad. PD Jake shows up, kisses Mary on the cheek, and takes the awkwardness up to like a nine, which gets cranked right up to 11 when Detective Rose shows up and gets kiss assaulted by Danny. It was an aggressive kiss. And, and not 
a pleasurable one, like high rate of closure speed. Very forceful. Yeah, the, the boxing ref is going to be warning you for a headbutt on that one. Like he, he came in real quick there. That got registered on CompuBox. Like that's on there. They're like, shit, that landed. I mean, yeah, it was dirty, but it landed. She's rocked back. We're going to still with the music playing. See, Arnold going to go for another show. He's got a bigger crowd this time. Going to bring a lovely young lady up this time. Surely he's thought of a different trick. Uh, no, he hasn't. And don't call me Shirley. He's just going to rip this poor girl's dress right off on the stage. The, the male members of the audience seem to love the new direction that he's going. Volunteer, not so happy about it. I'm curious. I mean, the obvious thing is, what if she hadn't been wearing all of her undergarments? But secondly, what made the crowd show up? Like, had there been another intermediate show where he had done this and Ed hadn't seen it? And that's what got a larger crowd? Because surely no one is seeing, like, hearing reports of old geezer on oxygen getting his shirt ripped off and like, fuck it, I'm bored. Let me go see that instead of the Ashanti concert at Mystique. D Delinda wasn't handing out free dinners at Mystique the way that she got people to come to Gunther's second show. So hard to say what it was, but there sure were a lot more people there this time. And finally, a rom-com crew takes the awkwardness dial, fucking breaks it off in the max position as Mary and Jake go off to fuck and both Mary and Danny look absolutely distraught about it just longing looks at each other it it honestly the look to me was and maybe it's because we had all these season one throwbacks it looked like if mary was a call girl and she was going off to do her job and she wasn't excited about it and like looking back feeling bad about danny seeing this like it was it was weird yeah it really was our there's sadly no way to describe it to do it justice of just how bizarre it was to be honest i mean it was it was a really weird bit between the two listener if you are running low on your awkward quota for the week we would encourage you to find this episode and punch the scene up it's it's a doozy it'll it'll top you off ed did you like the episode i did i think on the whole i enjoyed it we get some you know we get the introduction of polly which it, i can't give all of the credit for later on just bringing her in here but she's a lot of fun so i'm happy to see her uh, on the whole, I enjoyed it, though, I think. How about you? Yeah, I mean, it it broke down on the last 100 meters in a real, real rough way. But, you know, like I alluded to earlier, perfectly fine episode right up the middle. It's not here to impress anybody. It's just here to get the job done and a yeoman's job at that. They're not all going to be cocaine fueled helicopter rides out of motorcycles. I still can't get that right <clears> in one. <sighs> Obviously, the Maloofs are a big drawback but they were mercifully brief in their appearance. So yeah, that was fine. The real question though, do you think Bedad ever got a wax? I do not. Okay. Well then our second big question, do we have a new chip leader? As a reminder, the crown is currently not held by anybody. It is being held in advance with Danny and Big Ed tied in second, Sam four, Mike Mary five, Nessa seven, Delinda eight. What do you got for me? I got not a damn thing. Yeah, Let, we, let's we don't need to beat this one. A band keeps the chip lead. It's not even close. You know, we both seem to enjoy the episode. Yeah. I can't tell you a single person that had a good episode here of the core cast. Danny, Big Ed, both mediocre. Sam took the next closest. She took an L because she lost this whale. I think because of that, Mike has moved up ahead of her. 
I do want to say that I think Delinda gets a small bump because she's cleared the air with Fred. Mm. So if he goes through with the sale, she's okay. And Nessa still has to figure out how she's going to weasel her way out of the lesbian lie situation. So I have it as Abance, Danny Big Ed, T2, Mike 4, Sam 5, Mary 6, Nessa Delinda tied in 7. I think I'm good with all of that. Well, there you have it. So I think for the first time ever, congratulations, Abance. You've retained the chip lead for another week. Hit me, Jean-Luc. Then I hereby declare this treaty in abeyance. Ed, I think I know the answer, but any chance we got Big Willie next time? Well, Jetson, next time on Pod at the Montecito Centennial, the new owner of the Montecito decides to make changes to his hotel, dot, 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 and to the people running it. Bum, bum, bum. Ominous tones to this very very short preview from the dvd box set making changes to the people running it sounds like he's going to like enforce involuntary plastic surgery yeah it's it or like what if security was done by half human half robots <laughs> the the ellipsis is what really makes it because i was i was not lying that is in the description that's what makes it sound real fucking ominous doesn't sound great for anybody. It is great for us, though, and our listeners who are able to watch episodes of Las Vegas, because I think this will be a good cliffhanger. And unlike back in, what was it, 2005, you will not have to wait all summer to see what happens. Just two weeks. Well, four weeks now. Sorry about that. Yeah, you'll have to wait a month. It's not great because we will be having our introspective after this before season three, episode one. But hey, could be worse. Also, you know that we're coming back. Whereas at the time, I don't think we knew when we saw the cliffhanger that season three was a guarantee. Yet. And also nothing stopping you from just watching ahead. Like you don't have to wait any amount of time. Also true. Before we get to that, any advice for our audience? I think we stepped on it earlier, but maybe you've had a chance to reload. Has your advice refractory period come to a close? We did step on it a little bit. The kids, to be clear, if an annoying but well-meaning overeager billionaire insists on buying you a six-figure gift... I'm sorry, multi-billionaire. Mm, Touche. Uh, you know what? If just a if just one billionaire, just a one, that's fine. This still applies. <laughs> I look, just you might as well just take them up on it and get something cool. Yeah. I mean, fuck. Even if it's not super expensive, it's just something you really wanted. Like that you don't intend to sell. Like, hey, I could go for a new car or a PS5 that you have to, you know, pay triple what it's worth on eBay or something. Like, whatever. This is the time. Yeah. Strike while that iron's hot. Because, by the way, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Don't fuck it up. These typically do not come around very often. Speaking of things that don't come around very often, it's the lawsuits from people who refuse, who continue to not sue us for the use of their music. So we thank them for that. I thank you, our dear listeners, for listening. Tell a friend about us. Leave that five-star review. I, people on other podcasts say it helps with visibility. I don't have actually any insight or interest in that, but they say it and they probably all mean it because it's their actual job. So yeah, it helps with visibility. Leave us a review. I think we're up to like seven or eight reviews. We know there's like at least nine of you that listen to this. So whichever one of you is out there free riding, not leaving a five-star review, get your act together. Also, things that don't come around often, chances to ask us questions that we'll talk about on the air. And yet, the retrospective episode is the time to do it. So, how are you boys? You have, from when this airs, three weeks 
to get it in because we will delay our normal recording environment so we can really capture as much of the real-time user-generated content as we can. Don't fuck this up. You're, you're, this is the show. You got the call. Put on the cleats. You've got your helmet. Here's your bat. You're in the box. Don't fuck this up. Now's your time to shine. I really did think you'd help me out with this metaphor at some point. I, I thought I, I didn't know where you were going. I was loving it. I was painting a word picture and I offered you the brush and you're like, no, painting's done. Let's move on. Use the equipment that you have at Montecito pod. Pod at the Montecito at gmail.com. First at letters, second at curly. That's the bat and ball of Judson's metaphor. There you go. And here's the glove. Because <laughs> bad news, now you have to go field. You struck out. Look, you tried, but it's it's the majors and you weren't prepared for it. You struck out looking, probably, because, look, you're listening to a podcast about a show that's been off the air for fucking 20 something years, 15 years. You struck out looking and now we need you to go work left field. So the glove is let Peacock know you want to see the show. They have it. The Olympics are over. We've got fucking Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I guess, is this this new moment of glory for NBC. And then what? So come the hell on. Get out there. Leave James LeSure out of it. But let Peacock know that you'd like to see the show on their platform. And until next time, I've been John. He's been Ed. And this has been Pod at the Montecito. This is...